May God delight in the eyes of our hearts to know the hope to which Christ has called us. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the gospel doesn't seem to be in a very good mood this morning, so let's, uh, let's stay with Paul in Philippians, shall we? The past few weeks, if you've been tracking with us, you'll know our New Testament readings have had us in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And in that letter, unlike the gospel this morning, we find Paul in a very good mood. But anyone who's acquainted with Paul will know that this is a little bit uncharacteristic. Usually when we encounter Paul, he's yelling at somebody. But in today's reading, he's encouraging his audience to be joyful, to find peace in Christ, to get along with one another. And this is pretty in line with the theme of the book of Philippians as a whole, which is kind of surprising when you consider that Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Philippi from a prison cell. Paul muses in the early chapters of the book about his fate. He knows that martyrdom is a sure bet at some point. That someday in the future he'll face trial and execution for his preaching of the gospel of Christ. And he wonders maybe if that day is growing close. And yet the chains and the sleeplessness and the prison food seem to have done nothing to dampen his spirits. In fact, he seems to be rejoicing that he gets to witness to Christ in such bleak conditions. That somehow this prison cell will become the avenue for sharing the gospel even more broadly and boldly than if he were free. And in a sense, that's pretty prescient of Paul. After all, it's because he's imprisoned that Paul has to write letters to the churches instead of visiting them. And it's those letters that outlive Paul by 2,000 years and that we find ourselves reading in a church building 9,000 kilometers from the place where they were written. Sometimes the struggles that seem to hold us back, the limitations that are set upon our lives, actually become the context for God's calling working itself out in our lives. Today's reading almost sounds like it could belong on the bloated shelves of the self-help and wellness sections in chapter uh, Indigo chapters, doesn't it? Don't worry about anything, Paul says. Quit being anxious. Practice gratitude for once. Concentrate on what's good and beautiful in life. If you're a cynic like me, then this reads like the worst pop psychology wisdom for dealing with life's problems. Is Paul really saying, just don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. Is this Paul promoting the power of positive thinking? Well, you'd be excused for thinking that if you didn't read the rest of the book. At the center of the letter, its beating heart is what scholars often call the Christ hymn of Philippians 2. That recitation of a very, very ancient Christian hymn going all the way back to the infancy of the church. Let me reacquaint you with it. Paul writes, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul loves this hymn because it tells the story of Jesus in a way that has powerful implications for our own lives as Christians. Jesus doesn't cling to his divinity, Paul says, but he lets it go, empties himself, taking the form of our frail humanity and dying the most shameful death imaginable. And because of that downward journey, God exalts him and gives him back the glory that was Christ's from the beginning. This is the hero's journey from glory to shame and back to glory. Now, Paul thinks that this is an important picture, not just for understanding Christ, but for making sense of what it means to live out the way of Christ in our own lives. The whole book of Philippians is an extended reflection on that pattern, that glory comes through humility, that joy and peace is found not in self-actualization, but in self-emptying and loving service to others. Unfortunately, Christians have often gotten hung up on the emptying part. Throughout history, we've become a little bit obsessed with self-denial, which has given Christianity a not completely unwarranted reputation for being a dour and a self-loathing affair. Christians are those folks who go around hating themselves and saying sorry to God and sighing about carrying their crosses. And it's true, Christians do have a little bit of a martyr complex sometimes, don't they? But is Paul counselling us to act like martyrs? I'm not so sure. Actually, I wonder if Paul is speaking to the paradox at the heart of our faith. That the joy we seek, the means for dealing with our angst and our worry, is found through the way of the cross. The way of the cross is not about overcoming what ails us through the power of positive thinking, or becoming invulnerable to struggle and suffering, and with it losing our capacity for sharing with others in their suffering. That's a kind of spiritual anesthesia. It makes us feel better for a while, and it helps us forget what's going on, but it says nothing meaningful about the concrete reality of our brokenness or of the brokenness of the world that we live in. But the way of the cross is not the way of the victim either. The righteous martyr who puts on a pious face in church but all the while is wallowing in religious self-pity. Rather, Paul is inviting us to the way of joy, of peace, and of hope. But it is a way that leads us through the cross. For Paul, the cross is not our destination, but the journey we take toward joy. For the joy set before him, the book of Hebrews says, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. Rejoice then, Paul says, because joy is your inheritance. From his prison cell, Paul encourages us to look with hope and confidence towards the joy that is ours in Christ. A joy that overcomes suffering not by erasing or wishing it away, but by walking boldly through it. And that, of course, is why our central symbol for the Christian life is baptism. Baptism marks our dying to an old way of life and rising to a new. It's a way of confessing and practicing the central Christian claim that death gives way to life. 
And this morning we rehearse our confidence and our hope in that truth by sharing the joy of the baptism of some in our own community. But the Christ life that springs from death is a particular kind of life, a way of being in the world that lives out of our rootedness in the Christ who emptied himself in service to the world. And that's why we join with those being baptized to remind ourselves what it means to live that life. It means the emptying of self so that we can be of loving service to others. It means striving for justice and peace. It means safeguarding creation. It means seeking and serving Christ in every person we meet. And that is the way to which Christ invites us. A way that leads us through the cross, but is always a journey toward joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.